Hi, glad you're with us. Man, where do we even begin? Where do we start? Um, it's not even, it's, this is not about a victory lap. It is about truth. It is about justice. It is about corruption it, at a, a at a breathtaking level. It is about a mob in the media that lies, lies, lies again and again. I have been saying for over three plus years, me, my ensemble cast, oftentimes we're out there, a lone voice in the wilderness, uh, like vetting Obama. And this is the biggest abuse of power, corruption, scandal in the history of this country. Mitch McConnell is out there. Even he said, wow. Uh, And I got to thank Fox for being pretty much the only place that ever said this. Now, there's a ton of other news today. By the way, Nancy Pelosi, I myself cannot understand why illegal immigrants can't receive COVID-19 stimulus payments. All right, we could all talk about that. The, you know, what has happened in New York, what we are literally learning every day about how awful New York has been in terms of coronavirus is it is unreal. Um, we have the media Democratic Party protection program for Biden, uh, especially now in the Tara Reid story. But what we have now learned is it is scary. This is a, and understand this, no hyperbole here. This is a clear and present danger to this great republic, this great country, this country, our way of life. Because if you can, can and have people that will do what they did in the Flynn case and everything else that we reported turned out to be true also, And we have that level of abuse of power. And there is a spectacular amount of new information that will be forthcoming on all the other issues we've been discussing. If it can happen, if we have a dual justice system, if we don't have equal justice under the law, equal application of our laws, then you don't have a constitution. The constitution is the foundation for all of the laws in this country. And we don't have a country. The country that has accumulated more power and abused it less, like Barry Farber says, and I add, a country that has accumulated all this power and wealth and used it to advance the human condition. No country has done what the United States of America has done. We have, we're not perfect. We've transformed the world, though, and we've shared all of this with everybody in the world uh, at the end of the day. Now, I am just... I, I, I am saying take note of what has happened here. Take note that they withheld exculpatory evidence in the Papadopoulos case. He said, what are you talking about? Russia? Nobody here is talking to Russia. Uh, but they went after him. They literally, they have the Roger Stone, a process crime. He lied to Congress. That's it. By the way, the same thing the inspector general said about McCabe and Comey and all the referrals he made. Yeah, lying, process crimes. They send 29 guys in tactical gear, pre-dawn raid, CNN cameras tipped off to bang down the doors of Roger Stone and get a conviction. Not allowed. They first took away his his freedom of speech rights. The judge gag ordered him. And said, you can't talk, you can't talk, you can't talk, you talk again, you tweet again, you'd say anything again, I'm putting you in jail. 
And now, then it's found guilty. We learn the jury for person. We have a right to an impartial jury. No, we don't. Because the jury for person before the trial had previously condemned Roger Stone by name and Donald Trump and any Trump supporters as racist. And then the judge, when all of this is brought up and say, well, we have a right to uh, another trial, the judge says, no, you can't make this up. All of this has happened. And now we're at the General Flynn part. And for the record, no pat on the back here. This shouldn't happen to any American. This should definitely not have happened to a man that has spent 33 years of his life serving his country and serving in combat zones uh, and fighting in the war on terror, Iraq and Afghanistan. If we're going to give the benefit of the doubt to anybody, the guy that put his life on the line for our way of life, he gets that extra benefit of the doubt, shouldn't he? Considering he, he risked his life for all of us. 33 years of service. Now, these records, all these handwritten notes and emails from the FBI, and there is a, a, Trevor, a treasure trove of more documents and information coming. They now prove what we've been saying about General Flynn has been, is true. Beyond any doubt whatsoever, General Flynn was completely set up by corrupt agents within the FBI that targeted him with a perjury trap and they're bragging about it. That's how sick this gets. Now, it's even worse. It has been a long time. What have we told you about General Flynn? What has been okay, they they went in. Remember, he called the Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe because okay, these FBI agents are coming in. One of them turns out it was Peter Strzok. They come in and he calls McCabe before they come in. Now, this isn't about me. Do I need a lawyer or something? Oh, no, you don't need a lawyer. Well, he did need a lawyer. And it turns out he really didn't need a lawyer. Long story. Then we've got the infamous tape. This is the ever liberal leaning Nicole Wallace at MSDNC, the conspiracy network of Roswell, Rachel Maddow and company. There's not any smear, slander, besmirchment that network won't be involved in. We have the FBI director, higher calling, higher duty, higher honor. We're going to get lectured by Jimbo, you know, super patriot. No, he's not. Tick tock, Jim. Anyway, remember he said on stage, he's bragging. Oh, I sent them in. I took advantage of the chaos. Uh, I, I, I never would have, you know, ever thought of uh, doing this in a prior administration or get away with it in a prior administration. Because there's a process for that. You go through the White House counsel before you get to. Well, interview somebody that would have been informed of their rights to a lawyer, which his deputy took away from General Flynn. Here's this tape. You look at this White House now, and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the sit room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, <laughs> um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration, in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration. <laughs> the protocol, two men that all of us have perhaps increased appreciation for uh, over the last two years. <laughs> and in both of those administrations, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself, 
to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. Let's just shred the Constitution, shall we? Let's just let's take away his Miranda rights, shall we? Because that is exactly what they did in this case. It is everything by far we had been warning you about and telling you about that it happened. Now, the process in all this, they never thought he was lying. That's the part when I said, well, in a way, he didn't need a lawyer, but it didn't matter, did it? Because now we know beyond any doubt what their intentions were, that this was a setup from the very beginning. And this was all about bringing down General Flynn. And it's all written, handwritten notes, FBI agents to themselves, all admitting what they did. It is nothing but a national despicable disgrace. Get General Flynn to admit breaking the Logan Act. No American's been prosecuted successfully. The Logan Act is from 1799. Catch Flynn in a lie. Their goal, you know, what is it referral? Well, I'll just use their words. What's our goal here? Truth, admission, or to get him to lie? That would be called a perjury trap. You know, truth, admission. Well, why would anyone ever have to ask that question? Is our goal truth? It should always be truth. It should always be facts. It should never be, you know, what's our goal? There's only one goal, justice. Justice should be blind, equal application of of justice and laws and process. You don't deny somebody, you know, is our goal that we get them to lie so we can prosecute Flynn or get him fired? Question mark? Is that a question? That's not a question. That is called a witch hunt. That's what that is called. And I will tell you, the Senate Intelligence Committee will hold uh, confirmation hearings on all this. I know that uh, Charles Grassley is apoplectic about all of this right now. But these documents prove all the corrupt agents, Jim Comey's FBI, discussing their strategies, how to set up Flynn on something known as a perjury trap. I'll never forget the day. And God bless Joe DeGeneva and Victoria Tunsley. You know, everything I think back that they said, I remember Joe DeGeneva said on my TV show, dirty cops. And I flinched because I was raised. Well, my mom was a prison guard who worked 16 hours a day every day. And I, I flinched because it was a harsh truth. And that's exactly what we're dealing with here. And my father worked in family court probation and waited tables. And let's see, so many of my relatives, distant, close relatives, they're all cops. They were all in law enforcement. The two guys that made it to the FBI and my family, they were deity. They, that was the ultimate in my family. So when someone says dirty cop, I flinch because I was raised to respect law enforcement, still do. And that's why I make a distinction Often, 99% good people put their lives on the line for all of us in a dangerous, evil, corrupt world. And then 1% like the Comeys of the world, they're involved in this dishonorable abuse of power and corruption. Now, it goes deeper because remember, we're the ones have been, I kept saying, how many times? Sing along with me, shall you? You know, premeditated fraud on a FISA court. Says at the top of a FISA warrant, verified 
Well, we now know that it was not only unverifiable because Christopher Steele himself, he wouldn't stand by his own dossier. I have no idea if it's true in an interrogatory under the threat of perjury in Great Britain. Everybody in the mob and the media has ignored all of this abuse of power. But they use Clinton's dirty, bought and paid for Russian dossier. We've now learned Christopher Steele is wiped clean, just like Hillary, all his emails. We learned that there's been there was contact with the DNC and Hillary Clinton. We also knew Hillary Clinton that she yeah had subpoenaed emails. She deleted bleach bit acid washed the hard drive, bust up devices with hammers. That happened, too. But they used the dirty dossier that we also know now. The Russians knew that it was going to Clinton. And they fed disinformation through Christopher Steele, paid for by Hillary, so that they could use what is unverifiable, that they warned is not verifiable on no, numerous occasions before the first FISA application. Comey signed the first three. And then we have Sally Yates and a bunch of other people also signing off on them. Knowing it's not true, warned it's not true, no verification process whatsoever. As the basis to spy on Carter Page, deny him his civil liberties, constitutional rights, and then, in the words of the Attorney General Barr, spy on candidate Trump, transition team Trump, and Barr's words deep into the Trump presidency. That all happened. And there were other avenues of spying that we strongly believe we're going to find out about, too. That would involve another three-letter agency, uh, starting with C. And then, of course, names like Clapper and Brennan and Susan Rice. And what did Joe Biden know about all of this and Obama know about all this? And why did Susan Rice memorialize on Inauguration Day in the White House that Barack said do everything by the book from something that had happened two weeks ago? I'd like an answer to that, too. What did they know? When did they know it? To the attorney general's credit, we're finally getting some justice. All right, as we roll along, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Let me go back to Jennifer for a second, because I, as I said, I flinched when he first said dirty cops. And he now, there was a Red State article that points out that Democrats say they have evidence Donald Trump personally directed subordinates to scrap Long plan relocation, FBI headquarters, blah, 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 blah. This is their thing. Now, Joe was on apparently with Howie Carr out of Boston. Great guys, both of them. The interview took place before Thursday night's stunning release of FBI documents. And DeGeneva said there's now a mole inside the FBI who is leaking to the press about the current conduct of FBI Director Christopher Wray and his general counsel, Dana Buente. What's very clear is, according to the two stories, one in The Federalist, one in The Daily Caller, someone inside the FBI is now whistleblowing by leaking to the press about what is going on, uh, he's claiming here. Uh, and boy, it's just fascinating to watch the claim that Chris Ray and Dana Buente did everything they can do to prevent this stuff uh, from happening uh, and going after General Flynn. He said that is the beginning of an ugly story. This is just the beginning. We know where Durham is. We know he's hiring more staff. We know he's been overseas. We know that something big is happening. And by the way, the attorney general said, no, it's not a report. It's about justice. Hmm. When? All right. Glad you're with us. Now, how did the mob and the media react? Because now here's another layer. And by the way, Sidney Powell, the attorney for General Flynn, will join us today, along with John Solomon. 
John Solomon just broke on justthenews.com. FBI found no derogatory Russia evidence on Flynn. Planned to close the case before leaders intervened. FBI memos show the case was closed with a defensive briefing before a second interview with Flynn was sought. Evidence withheld for years from Michael Flynn's defense team shows the FBI found, quote, no derogatory Russia evidence against the former Trump national security advisor and that counterintelligence agents had recommended closing down the case with a defensive briefing before the Bureau's leadership intervened in January of 2017. Recommendation to close the case came 16 days before the president took office with the plans to have Flynn serve as his national security advisor and after agents found no incriminating evidence by sweeping counterintelligence files and taking and talking to confidential human sources, Flynn was given the codename Crossfire Razor during the probe, an apparent spinoff of the larger Russia collusion witch hunt, Crossfire Hurricane. The absence of any derogatory information or lead information from these logical sources reduced the number of investigative avenues and techniques to pursue. Per the direction of FBI management, Crossfire Razor was not interviewed as part of the case closing procedure. The FBI is closing this investigation, the agent wrote, on January 4, 2017. That would be 20 days before the the ambush McCabe-Comey set up. And even then, even Peter Strzok said, yeah, he, we didn't see that he was being dishonest. We didn't find that. So how do we get to a guilty plea? Well, it's simple. You know, and this is the way corrupt prosecutors and and corrupt individuals in law enforcement work and it's not the majority it's the one percent that abuse power they just go in and they twist your arm and they say well if you don't sign this paper admitting you lied to us then well we're just going to have to go after your son who was in business with you and we're going to prosecute him now i ask all of you mothers and fathers out there what are the odds that a father is going to Fall on the sword if it means to save his son. So they're, they're, they didn't think he lied. So they make him admit something that is a lie so that he protects his own son. By this point, he is bankrupt. By this point, he has to sell his home. By this point, he's got nothing left. You know, 33-year career culminating in being the national security advisor. Maybe he should be the new FBI director because I don't see a lot of urgency in Director Ray. I'd like some answers from him. Not sure well, why isn't he, he seems more interested in protecting the institution, but if he wants to protect the institution, which is the premier law enforcement agency in the world and the people that dedicate their lives to this, and I know many of them, and they all feel as I do, and I wear a pin in solidarity with them every night, just like the other agency where power was abused and corruption took place. Well, the best thing that Director Ray can do is clean up the mess. He's shown no desire that I have seen to do that. And I don't know why, because it is in the best interest of the country, the best interest of the agency, because as this has gone on and on and now it's all proven the American people are not going to have any faith or trust in that agency. It is the saddest thing for me to report to you that I know people in the FBI and we've had long discussions 
and I'm never going to talk. I'm in the media. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, in a press person. First Amendment. But I will tell you, and I say, well, you know, when the FBI comes to your house, they're always going after people for lying to the FBI. What if you forget one point? Blah, blah, don't talk to them. Like, what? That makes, that does not, that does not sit well in my brain. That friends of mine that do the greatest work and put their lives on the line, some of the things they do, I don't even know. But it's amazing because I know that they're willing to put their life on the line for their country. For law and order and justice. They're under the Department of Justice. And they will say, nope, call your lawyer. Don't say a thing. And I'm like, well, I want to. My inclination, my heart is I want to help the FBI. That's who I am. That's how I was raised. It is in my DNA. Yeah, but the problem is if you don't tell them the whole truth, they're going to get you for lying to the FBI if they're targeting you. So it puts you in a position where you want to help them. And you can't. It is that nuts. It is sad. Now, all of this going on at, you know, it all at all this time. Well, I agreed yesterday we shouldn't show Flynn redacted if he didn't admit. And I thought about it last night. And I believe we should rethink this. And then this is where the what is our goal? Truth, admission, or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. This is a unbelievably revealing amount of corruption here and an abuse of power that should be a gut punch to every American. I don't see how getting someone to admit their wrongdoing is going easy on him if we get him to admit to breaking the Logan Act. Here we are again, the Logan Act, 1799, no American successfully prosecuted. The Logan Act is meaningless. Uh, But anyway, break in the Logan Act, give facts to the DOJ, have them decide. Or if he initially lies, then we present him, if he admits it, document for the DOJ, let them decide, which would be more protocol. If we're seen as playing games, the White House will be furious. Protect our institution by not playing games. That would be the right thing to do, by the way. And, the you know, I, does he not deserve the benefit of the doubt? Then you have the deputy attorney general. No, no, no. You don't need lawyers. And you have the Comey brag. I did. Oh, yeah. I sent them there. <laughs> I took advantage of the chaos. Something I'd never do or get away with in any prior administration because there's a process. The process is the legal one where you go through the White House counsel where General Flynn would have been warned That, in fact, what the deputy FBI director told him is false, and he does need his lawyer. And then he would have maintained his Miranda rights that they took from him, like everything else that they took from him, and destroyed how many years of of his life? You know, well, our goal is we, we have a case on Flynn and Russians. Our goal is to resolve the case. Our goal is to determine if Mike Flynn is going to tell the truth about his relationship with the Russians. Then it turned out not to be the case at all. FBI discussed interviewing Michael Flynn to get him to lie, to get him fired, uh, and maybe the perjury trap. Sidney Powell, who will join us later, has written four pages. We put them up on Hannity.com. The revelations of corruption by the FBI to intentionally frame General Flynn for crimes. The FBI manufactured piles on which each new production of documents. By the way, I have no doubt this is all coming from... Bill Barr and John Durham, and I'm telling you right now, 
buckle up. It's all coming. There's more coming. Now, Hannity, you've told us this for three years. We've got frustrated waiting. Well, the wait is now clearly ending. We've not been wrong the entire time. While the mob, the media, they do their thing. Lie, smear, slander, besmirch. Character assassination, conspiracy theories, hoaxes. Wrong, wrong, wrong again. Four investigations, Trump, Russia, collusion. Well, it turns out the big boomerang is that, well, the only Russian uh, information that was used as disinformation, even the New York Toilet Paper Times finally got it when they said, yeah, it was likely Russian disinformation from the get-go, meaning the Steele dossier. Well, apparently Putin knew that Steele was feeding this to Hillary. He knew it was BS, too, and he was interfering in the elections. I've said he's a hostile actor, and that is a hostile regime. But we've also been warned by the likes of Devin Nunes in 2014. He told us this would happen in 2016. Biden-Obama did nothing. Now, the big question is, what did Joe Biden know? And when did he know it? There is a Washington Post, by the way, or not Washington Post. They call for Biden to come clean on the issue of uh, Tara Reid. But, you know, we've got, let's see, they targeted Michael Flynn. They entrapped Michael Flynn. They persecuted, prosecuted an innocent man, and now they're caught red-handed, and it's only the beginning. And I'll tell you right now, you know, you got fake news CNN in 2018 talking about, do you think he committed treason? Do you understand that you were in the White House when you told these lies? They convicted him before he was ever convicted in a court of law. Why give a 33-year veteran the benefit of the doubt? Why would we ever do that? You know, et cetera, et cetera. If only the judge told us how he really felt about Michael Flynn, fake Jake Tapper. Then you got John Brennan on with our old friend, Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters. Now, there are some people that thought it went too far when he asked if Michael Flynn committed treason. Well, I'd like to know what Brennan knew and when he knew it. Do you think he went too far when he raised that question? John Berman's question, rather. Anyway, Ralph Peters, uh, I'm sorry, John Berman, it wasn't wasn't Brennan, I apologize. That was a question from John Berman. I apologize, correction made. A judge today, Berman says, all but called him a traitor. The president wished him well. Uh, They take joy in all this. Roger Stone, did he he not deserve a new trial? When the jury foreperson had a prejudice against him before the trial. That doesn't warrant a new fair. That, that's not an impartial. That's that's a fair and impartial jury. No, it's not. You got Roswell, Rachel Maddow leading the conspiracy channel network with all their phony news and quoting a story of Washington Post. Michael Flynn contacts Russia. They're all things Russia, Russia, all the investigations. No Trump, Russia collusion. And even the Mueller report couldn't get there as hard as they tried. And they spend days and hours spreading lies, misinformation, propaganda, conspiracy theories and hoaxes. And it is, let me tell you, if I did this on Fox, I would have been fired. I have pages and pages and pages of faulty misinformation, deception, slander, all of it. All of these news organizations are fundamentally corrupt, dishonest, fake news it is it is so pervasive. It's now become like a cancer on the, uh, you know, for the American public. It's an information crisis. That's an understatement. We now have a propaganda crisis in the country. 
But these documents that Sidney Powell and you got the idiots over at National Review Online, they were wrong, too. I mean, it's just it's sad, but it's beyond sad. It's dangerous. This is a clear, present danger to the United States, period. End of sentence. Anyway, back to Sidney Powell's, you know, as repugnant as his the conduct is of the FBI guys on the on its face. We, she writes, we know that the original 302 documents went to Strzok, who rewrote it. By the way, that's all been withheld from Flynn. But they talk about the original 302. And Strzok was pissed off that Page, who revised it substantively, yet again, crafting the narrative to charge Flynn with a crime he didn't commit. And she writes, as repugnant as this conduct is on its face, the travel of this vital document establishes continuously until this day the original FBI agents, prosecutors, FBI management's determination to withhold exculpatory evidence required under the Brady, which we discussed at length many times, violations against General Flynn's civil rights. They withheld it to not only convict an innocent man, but to hide their own crime, she writes. And second, the production proves that unadulterated fabrications and outright lies by an FBI, I'm sorry, FBI CHS, Stefan Halper, were used by the government to target and investigate General Flynn in the Crossfire Hurricane scheme. When their game failed, the tactic shifted with the seventh floor involved. We know what the seventh floor means. Finally, email messages in this production bolster the now widely known egregious conduct of the FBI in their plot to get General Flynn one way or the other with total disregard for fairness, justice, decency in the law. And she goes through a timeline. We're doing a lot of timelines lately, you know, like Cuomo and de Blasio early March. Oh, we're fine. We're prepared. Go out on the town. Here's my recommendations. March 2nd through March 5th. We're, we're not like we're arrogant New Yorkers. We know better. You know, it's unreal. And January 24th struck texted saying uh, about to email questions for Andy to think about in advance of his call with Flynn. I'm sure he's uh, thought them already of them already. But just in case, oh, so McCabe knew they were setting him up and told him he didn't need a lawyer. Whoopsie daisy. Bye bye, Andy. Later that same morning, struck texted page. Bill just, uh, quote, redacted and me that he brought up. Bill Priestep, I assume, is the person again this time in front of the director, assumably Comey. Didn't know he was going to do that. Uh, Yeah, he's frustrated Uh, going into a meeting. Do not repeat. Struck a shorter. I won't. Bill and D started going one way and D.D. cut him off. I'd be frustrated, too. I'm going to let Sidney Powell explain all of this to you as she joins us later in the program. The biggest corruption abuse of power scandal in the history of this republic. If they're not held accountable, it's going to happen again. And if we don't have equal justice equal application of our laws. There's been recommendations for the same process crimes they went after all these other guys on, you know, like Roger Stone and Manafort. Manafort never would have been investigated. And and even Michael Cohn. And it wouldn't have happened. Halper lies about me to set up General Flynn. That was tweeted out also. All right, glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity show. We have Sidney Powell, the counsel, the rep, who's been representing, and and I'll tell you, she threw her heart and soul into defending General Flynn, um, and took a lot of crap for it. And uh, she will join us, John Solomon, for the full hour in our final hour of the program today. One update: Grassley has demanded Barr intervene in the case. No, 
I would say to the Honorable Judge Sullivan, you must vacate. Because when they vacate this, and I'm not saying that they're, that the president, you know, Barr should intervene in the sense I think he already did. I think this is all because of the attorney general doing his job. I, I wish the FBI director would do more and show more. Um, we'll get back to that all coming up. Um, I first want to get back to the issue of coronavirus. I don't know why everything seems to get politicized, but these are the times we live in. Nancy Pelosi's greatest comment lately. I myself cannot understand why illegal immigrants cannot receive COVID-19 stimulus payments. We're broke. That's the short answer. Um, we don't have it. Uh, interestingly, politically, most voters say coronavirus will not impact their choice for president. This is a poll. Only 14 percent said it's a major factor that would impact their vote in November, according to NPR, PBS and Marist College. Um, only 20 percent said a minor factor. And that was it. That surprised me. Uh, coronavirus spurs more New Yorkers to flee New York City. That is a real story. Um we have this scandal. I mean, I saw a project Veritas that funeral home directors are saying that they weren't even sure anyone had COVID-19. But if they died, they just put it down as COVID-19 and many of them in a video, which I was shocked at, too. Uh, I think we need to know the truth so we can properly prepare what the real number is. We just need to know whatever it is. Good, bad, indifferent. There are reports that uh, now in the middle of May, NASCAR is going to open up. The president will not be extending federal coronavirus social distancing guidelines. The president expressed he's eager for baseball. I would like the Yankees to play at Yankee Stadium. When that game happens, I have purchased 500 tickets for the medical heroes. These idiots on Twitter, there is no baseball. That's a phony charity. No, when it opens up. Randy Levine, I called at the Yankees. I said, Randy, can I buy 500 tickets? He said, yes. I said, okay. And then he goes, you know what? Let me talk to Hal Steinbrenner. I'll get right back to you. Gets right back to me. Yeah, we're going to match it. We'll do 500 tickets too. That's how great that was. I was challenged this challenge thing that's going on. Um, and, you know, we, we need to open up the country, but doing it safely. Dr. Oz has been with us from day one on this. And uh, Dr. Oz, great to have you back. We see a percolating in the population in California and elsewhere I think uh, this is my take on it. Tell me if I'm wrong, that many Americans now have watched all of this and they have made a determination in their own hearts and minds. What is, quote, an acceptable risk for them? And that's why the beaches, nobody's listening to the governor of California. Now, my advice, to be very clear, is for the sake of others, I will, as I go out and about my daily business, I'm going to wear the mask for a while for the foreseeable future. And I'm doing it not for me, but for other people in case I ever would contract this. I'm not that worried about myself. Um, I guess I should be, but I'm not. That's the truth. But I care about other people that are vulnerable. Dr. Oz, your thoughts. Welcome back. Thank you. Well, we're seeing different states handle it uh, in ways that befit their culture. In Florida, they've opened the beaches up. They've made arguments along the lines of what you've offered. You can't line the beach, just can walk. Uh, you're supposed to be protected. Um, and I think most people, for the betterment of their fellow man, are doing their best to abide by those. In California, parts of the state, I was doing a, a show uh, out there last night, so I was actually witnessing all this all going down as people were talking about it. But the, uh, the, the chief executive of Orange County was saying, well, you know, our beach, beaches are open right now. We don't think we should close them. But uh, it's the governor's call. I mean, the governor gets to make that decision. And uh, that's why there's a little bit of a tug of war happening even within the state. I think governors 
know they have to open. They're nervous about opening their state, not having anybody come, <laughs> figuratively speaking, because people don't trust the system. Uh, but I've got to say, from the pure medical perspective, we're making progress in our understanding of this virus. We're learning every day more about how widespread it has been, uh, the, the fact that, that most young people anyway do very well and they don't want to get it, and some people really get hurt badly by it. And I've been covering that on the show, but the majority of people either don't know they've had the problem or, or uh, their symptoms are mild. There was an interesting study in Boston of 400 people in a homeless shelter, and uh, they, they found that 36% of the people in the homeless shelter had already had COVID-19. That, that's not the interesting part, because we know in prisons and the like, there's been huge epidemics, and people get hurt sometimes when they're you know, diagnosed and not well taken care of. But in this homeless shelter, what they saw was that 90% of the people seemed to have been asymptomatic. They, they, they didn't know they had it, or they, they, the symptoms were so mild, they didn't get that an issue. And, that, and these are, you know, the mean age is 51, so it's a younger group, but they're not theoretically the healthiest folks in the world. And the most common symptom was a cough. It wasn't some of the things we talked about. So it's likely that a lot of Americans have been exposed, but the people that we can't expose, and you've been talking about this from day one, folks who are vulnerable, that's where we win and lose this battle. So in Florida, they were pretty aggressive managing the older population. Other parts of the country didn't appreciate how, how difficult it was to protect older people, especially in, in, you know, in chronic care facilities and the like. And those are the people who ended up getting really sick and are so hard to manage. Look, I, I've got to say this, um, and early on, I remember discussing this on this very show with you about the spring break issue, and DeSantis took a lot of heat for that. At the time, we were being told that young people, we don't have to worry about them. Uh, one of the distinctions, if you will, between H1N1 was that tended to attack younger people, not older people. In this case, it was older people, not younger people. And, and I'll even say this, um, and I've been very critical of... New York governments, the city, the state, and their response. May, March 2nd, they were saying everything's going to be fine. Recommendations go out on the town from the mayor of New York, and uh, we're not like these other countries from Governor Cuomo. Um, I didn't like his directive. I think it was the wrong call. March 25th, as it relates to nursing homes, Governor DeSantis targeted the elderly immediately. That turned out to be the right strategy. Do I think Governor Cuomo did it on purpose? I absolutely do not believe that at all. And I'm, and I'm critical. I think he did a terrible job in a lot of ways. It was a bad call. Do I think he did it on purpose? No way. I don't believe that. Well, none of us appreciated how severe this was. I mean, there were other decisions we made. Again, people did it often with the recommendations of the health community. I mean, not wearing masks in subways. Uh, the overall belief that a mask wouldn't work at all. And it's true that, uh, that you know, a cloth mask, which is all we have uh, and had at the time, uh, wasn't going to be as valuable, but it was better than nothing. And the CDC and ultimately the task force changed their minds, which you got to do because you get more data. And I think this is, look, there are some good things that came out of this, not, not a lot, but there's some good things in that. It was remarkable to see the fire hose of information and research that's been, I mean, this, this drug, rem, remdesivir, some of the research around other medications for this drug, the rapid pace uh, with which we're moving forward on immunizations. I mean, I was stunned when Dr. Fauci said that he thinks by the end of this year, we could have an, uh, vaccines for emergency use. I mean, that is, just, I mean, no, normally vaccines take four or five years to develop. This is unheard of that the world could get behind but, it so quickly. That's, we got to deliver still, but, but those change the horizon of how long this ailment will befuddle us quite, quite a bit. You know, on the political side of this, and I've asked you questions about the, the collision course of medicine and politics, and it's not a good course. 
Um, and I think in, in some instances there's been too much caution and others not enough. Um, and, you know, we are all learned a lot here. I will say this. It bothers me that, you know, March 2nd, New York's all of New York's government is saying, oh, we're, we got this handled. We're ready. We can handle it. Not a big threat. Still low. Blah, blah, blah. Even Dr. Fauci, you know, February 29th, risk is low. He didn't know. Chinese lied to us. A lot of people didn't know. Um, but what does bother me is that there was very, there was a lot of reluctance. Donald Trump built that 3,000 bed hospital at the Javits Center in record time, sent the Navy ship in record time, you know, converted it to COVID-19 capabilities to take on those patients in record time. Got, nobody was short a ventilator. And in the end, at their lowest point, the government still had about 10,000 ventilators in their possession, but they were giving them out on a need basis and getting daily updates. Who needs what? Not what you think you want. What do you really need? And now we have 200,000 ventilators. And, you know, it's amazing to me that it's so politicized in every way. It's painful, actually, to watch some of it. And then there's all those people that won't give the president any credit. I think the travel ban January 31st was an amazing call in retrospect. What are your thoughts without dragging you into my world? <laughs> I'll tell you that what, what's concerning to me is so much of what is said and written in particular is ad hominem attacks. So you attack the person as opposed to attacking the ideas. And when you attack it in person, it's hard to deal with that. What are you, you going to say back? How do I how, or anybody say something that's positive about yourself when someone else is saying negative about you as an individual and judging your motivation, which I got to say, we ought to be humble about this. You are just saying it now. You don't want things that the government of New York or New Jersey or Florida, anybody else did anything on purpose or not. No one knew. So it's easy to look back and blame, but uh, the attacks shouldn't be based on people's motivation. But you can attack actions. You can also attack facts. And so when we argue back and forth about these things, as we do, for example, with medical therapies, traditionally, you, you, it ought to be based there. But unfortunately, when you politicize, I mean, there's a joke, you know, when, when you mix politics and medicine, what you get is politics. <laughs> there's no medicine left. Because medicine no, that's inherently, true. And, and people have been brutal, unfair to you, and, and all you did was stay up all night, every night, seven days a week, helping people. I mean, it's, well, it, I, it blew me away. I, I, I don't mind it. In surgery... You literally have to decide, am I going to cut here? Am I going to cut here? Do I, do I snap that? Do I put a stitch here or not? And when you, don't, when you do it and it doesn't work, it's still your fault. Even if you didn't do anything that anyone else would have done differently, you still got to live with that. And so it's all, I don't mind that. And all surgeons have to have egos that are strong enough to weather that strong because surgery is a fine line between arrogance and confidence. You know, you have to have confidence. You can take a bandsaw to someone's chest and do good to them. And so we, that's part of our training. I, I'm, that's not the issue for me. I'm seeing a stifling of honest opinion because I know there's some smart people out there who are not willing to venture into this area. And when you have, like there was a nice paper from Stanford from a very well-respected epidemiologist who he just got hammered because what he said wasn't what people wanted to hear. Now, what he said actually had interesting academics. You may not agree with it, but you want to understand the guy's arguments. He's not a, you know, a, a fool. He's been well-respected in everything else he said. So wouldn't you give him the benefit of the doubt to at least hear him through with his arguments? That's the foundation of liberal democratic society. Not, not democratic with, you know, with a 
versus Republican, but just literally that's what the founding fathers had in mind. And we don't want to mess with that, because then you start to make judgments about people based on what you think they're, they're representing, rather than what they're really saying. And, we, and we're better than that. And especially in, in an event like this, where we got a lot of work to do to get better. I want to hear some good ideas from everywhere. And I want to attack the ones I don't think are righteous because academically I'm against them. But I was like, remdesivir is a good example. This medication I just touched on earlier. You know, when, when, when you see a study that's been done at over 1,000 people, it's exactly a kind of large-scale randomized trial. And we finally have a large-scale randomized trial showing that anything works for sure. I think there's some other medications that are going to work. There are, there are a bunch out there that I'm optimistic about. But you've got to start somewhere. Get something to work. Now you get a little traction. Now you add something to that. Look, the HIV didn't get solved all at once. The first treatment that finally made any kind of a dent was just the very beginning. It ended up becoming multiple drugs that, end, that, that, that hindered that horrible uh, virus, the scourge, from hurting so many people. It's going to be similar for this. But I think, I'm optimistic, over the next six months, we're going to develop very effective treatments for people who do get sick. We'll be smarter about making sure they don't get sick. And then we'll have a vaccine if Dr. Fauci's right by end of the year, January. If not, a year from now. But we'll have it. All of this does what you want, which is makes it easier for people talking about how you open a stadium or how do you make a restaurant work. And all those conversations become a little safer because people have confidence there's a safety net for them. At one point I tweeted out, oh, Chris and Tony's is open for delivery or pickup. And people just beat the crap out of me on Twitter. I'm like, oh, great. And I'm trying to help my guys stay open. Um, I'll tell you what I think. And I'll just end with this without dragging into politics. I don't think anyone's going to be upset with um, travel bans in the future, quarantines. That will be a new normal. Uh, we learned we have the capability of a medical mobilization, the likes of which no country has ever seen. That will now we will study that and learn from it. I also think that if you have health, uh, a task force on health that warns you to buy ventilators, maybe they'll buy them next time. That's a lesson uh, and a painful a one. Yeah. And All right, Dr. Ross. system, which we've ignored, is going to be top priority for everybody now. Yeah, every hospital needs to be prepared for something, the worst case scenario, on a regular basis. I think that will come out of this also. Uh, anyway, Dr. Oz, you've been amazing as always. Thank you so much. Uh, very generous with your time. We'll take calls for Dr. Oz tomorrow. All right, how do we open up the economy? Open it up safely. And by the way, where's Quid and Pro and Quo and Joe? Um, unbelievable. Nancy Pelosi doubles down. She's satisfied with Biden's response to Tara Reid's sexual assault allegation. Where are all the I believers? What happened to all of them? Because Tara Reid has more corroboration than any of the people in the Kavanaugh case. And by the way, the haunting call from her mother to Larry King Live in 1993 talking about this happening to her daughter uh, and her brother and a best friend and a neighbor, all of them on the record and a police report. And now, by the way, they are not. Biden, the Washington Post has said, oh, they now need to come clean on sexual assault allegations. They're now feeling the pressure. And Biden campaign operatives, according to the Washington Examiner, uh, accessed Tara Reid's sealed Senate file. Oh, University of Delaware spokesman telling Business Insider Biden campaign staffers and operatives accessed the archive after he announced his candidacy in April of 2019. Mm hmm. Hope Tara Reid's ready for this because uh, the mob, the media, they are so fundamentally corrupt. All right, how to open up the country, how the stimulus money is being used, 
Monica Crowley works for Mnuchin next, and then Sidney Powell. Straight ahead. All right, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, many of you might be asking, oh, Monica Crowley used to be on your show all the time. Are you mad at Monica Crowley? I'm like, no. Um, Monica Crowley is a friend of yours. She's been at Fox from the beginning, right? Yes. Uh, where is she? Well, she's been working <laughs> with Steve Mnuchin. She is the Treasury Department spokesperson. And yes, friend of the program. Um, how are you doing? I know it's been hectic, somewhat busy, and I guess you've been spending a lot of time on things like, oh, stimulus packages and loan guarantees and everything in between and people that don't deserve it taking it. How you been and where are we stand? What's going on? Hi, Sean. I miss you so much. It's so good to be back on the show with you. And yeah, I am. I joined the Trump administration almost a year ago. Uh, at the Treasury Department as Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs. And at Treasury, as you can imagine, we are in the center of the hurricane uh, since this virus took hold and the government mandated the complete shutdown of the U.S. economy. So Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has been in the center of all of the negotiations, standing up these unprecedented programs and getting massive amounts of money out the door to protect hardworking Americans and small businesses. Well, let's talk about now. Look, like a lot of us, I'm standing back and looking at these numbers and it is freaking me out. We've never spent this kind of money. Now, we've never had a situation like this. We are, you know, we had the the first quarter GDP, what, down 4.8 percent. The second quarter is going to be an unmitigated disaster. Uh, unemployment record lows was like depression numbers for the short term. That's why opening the country safely is top of mind for me and by the way instinctively for most americans they've had it and i think what we see in all these rebellions and people showing up at the beaches in california etc is that people have decided what they have determined in their head to be an acceptable or unacceptable risk you see the the great pains people go through now to get manicures and you know plexiglass barriers distanced hands through this little cutout and uh uh, in the in the salon um, and then restaurants, I see plexiglass, social distancing things. I mean, people are very smart, actually, and creative. Um, so how do we where's this money going? Do we get it right? Did the workers that are out of work get it? Small businesses get it. Those that took it and didn't deserve it. Are they giving it back? So I've not had a haircut, Sean, since January, nor have I had a manicure. So well, you're, you're going to get killed for this, by the way. You know, like, oh, Monica Crowley's talking about her hair. <laughs> but you know something? It's but about it's getting real. back to normal life. Yes. I want to go yes. to a Yankee game, even if I have to wear a mask. Yes, it's about going back to a sense of normalcy so America can be America once again. You know, I think two months into this situation, one point has gotten lost, which is, it is, this is a completely unprecedented situation. So the president, the treasury secretary, anybody who is on the front lines of this uh, challenge cannot pick up the phone and call one of his predecessors and say, hey, what did you do in the last pandemic? Because there is no predecessor who has had this kind of experience in the modern era. So I am extremely proud of President Trump, Secretary Mnuchin, everybody in this administration who's taken on grave responsibilities in, in this kind of unique situation. The, on the economic side of this, which has directly followed the medical side of this, 
there was a realization early on, Sean, that because this is a government-mandated shutdown of the entire youth economy, that the government then needed to step in and fill the void to protect our great American workers, small businesses, and, and great American companies and industries because we were forcing them to, to not engage in economic activity. The other top-line realization was small businesses in America account for about 70% of all economic activity, and about half of all private sector payroll comes from small businesses. So that's why the Paycheck Protection Program was created, the PPP. We are now in the second round of this, and so far we have protected tens of millions of American jobs, and we have protected millions of small businesses. You're right to say that at the beginning, some companies, some businesses jumped in and took advantage of the situation. It's always really disappointing to see. Secretary Mnuchin was incredibly outraged when this came to him. And while the guidelines were always clear, the Treasury Department then stepped up and made them even more clear, issued even greater uh, clarity on these guidelines so that these resources will go to the small businesses who need them all across America. How about the workers? Like I, like I know people in the restaurant business, um, they're dying. They, and, and they're doing okay. You know, I'm trying to promote all my friends and say, hey, don't forget your local restaurants. And, and people are responding. They're being very generous. But it is how do we open that and open that safely? But is the money getting to the workers? Is it? And, and now, look, as I point out every day, and I, I keep going back to one anecdotal issue that New York had all of the medical equipment, ended up with all the ventilators and the masks and the gloves and the gowns and the respirators because the manufacturers, they never shut down. If they did, New York was done. The same with the guys that deliver the food and the farmers and the packers. And I, I kept going to my local grocery store and it was, except for toilet paper, Monica, everything's available. And I see the same guys stocking the shelves with masks and gloves. And they're all working yeah. every week, meaning they're not sick. Um, we should learn they never shut. They're not reopening. They never shut down. No store shut down. No grocery store shut down and no drugstore shut down. And these guys worked hard every day. Yes. Yes, I know. So two things about that. Your question about uh, is this money getting to average American workers? And the answer is yes in two ways. One, the Paycheck Protection Program, which is a small business program, and it's Again, paycheck protection, so it's meant to protect those workers who are employed by small businesses. The SBA, by the way, Sean, is processing a year's worth of loans every single day. It is astonishing what SBA and Treasury are doing there. And then, of course, there are the economic impact payments. This is direct money, the $1,200 checks or $1,200 amounts going directly to every eligible American. And, Sean, do you know that Treasury and IRS pushed out 120 million payments in just the last two to three weeks? That is an astonishing achievement for government. Look, this is one of the reasons why President Trump was elected in the first place, because he came out of the private sector, was a successful businessman, and was going to bring that private sector mentality to government. And that's exactly what he's done. The idea that the federal government could move so fast in standing up these, these programs and getting this magnitude of money out the door to small businesses, industries, and American workers in this rapid amount of time is unbelievable. 
I think, and I just went over this with Dr. Oz, I think the medical mobilization, we've never seen anything like it. Um, it was, uh, all the rules have changed as it relates to travel bans, quarantines. Uh, New York government, you know, the next time I guess they get a recommendation to buy ventilators in the city or the state, maybe they should buy them. Uh, but Donald Trump provided them. And we saw the great work down in Florida, the governor DeSantis, he did an amazing job. He targeted the elderly population and protected them first. And that was the single best call in the country. Although I got to give a lot of credit to Christy Nome, short of one outbreak at a meat facility. They did pretty well and they never shut down in South Dakota. Um, but Donald Trump bailed out New York, saved them. And everybody that supplied New York saved New York. And I would say that's the future. Telemedicine is the future. I think we are now aware of the, our capabilities for medical mobilization. They're spectacular, but preparation will help. Uh, breaking down the sequence of viruses, we never did it faster. Getting us to a chance at a vaccine sooner than later. Off-label use of medicines, hydroxychloroquine or remdesivir, all now on the table in the future. This is transformative. This, these are new times, and it's all been rewritten. And the same yeah, with the economy. And you know what, Sean, I think that's a really important point, is that this pandemic and, and its ripple effects in every direction, I think it's resetting everything in ways that nobody really has a handle on yet. Nobody does. Whether it's economically, politically, culturally, there are massive sea changes going on, and nobody quite knows how it's going to shake out. But I have to give all praise to this president, Treasury Secretary, everybody in the Trump administration for moving fast, moving directly, and moving efficiently to make sure the American people were protected economically and medically. This is going to be the standard for, uh, God forbid, any future pandemic going forward. I, I totally agree. All right. Now that I have you on the phone, here's the tough question. Oh, I God. hear. I hear of stimulus spending on top of, what are we at, $2.2 plus trillion, more than that now, right? What's the total figure? Yeah, so in terms of this spending, we're at about $2.5 trillion. And then remember that the Federal Reserve has stood up a bunch of facilities to provide liquidity across the board. Those are and loans. About, that, yes, $4 trillion. Loans, additional, yes, liquidity for about $4 trillion. So we're in the $6 trillion range. Okay. Now, we've never spent money like that, ever. Now, I think most of the country understands why. People, you know, we bailed out Europe after World War II. We rebuilt Europe. We can, we're going to help out Americans in need. These are extraordinary circumstances. That's why reopening the country safely is key. When I hear talk about infrastructure, my head, I want to bust blood vessels everywhere because I want this money to sink into the economy first and as Mitch McConnell was saying, and I don't think I agree with him all the time, that uh, we can't afford it right now. We got COVID-19 issues to deal with. So in these programs that we've pushed out, again, in record time over the last two months, they're all, they're all associated with end dates, right? So enhanced unemployment insurance, there's an end date. These are all temporary programs to get Americans through this temporary 
but very challenging time. We put end dates on all of these programs so that they wouldn't go on forever and, and drive the spe- already astronomical spending levels even more through the ceiling. So we will see what the next conversation is for phase four. Sean, President Trump is on the record talking about infrastructure and talking about how interest rates are so extremely low that now is the time to do it. So I know that that conversation and that debate. I know that's all happening. I'm I am looking at it as a conservative and I'm saying, okay, we I'm not so quick. Remember, part of infrastructure was about shovel ready jobs in the Obama administration. And eventually even he conceded shovel ready. Isn't that shovel ready? Yes. And and you and I have spent our entire careers as fiscal conservatives. So when we look at some of these numbers, they are indeed eye-popping. But again, this is about getting the country, and it's not just the United States. I mean, look at the rest of the world, Western Europe, China. All of the major economies are in this predicament. So the president took immediate and very necessary action to get us through this time. And then the next challenge will be unwinding these things and getting America back on a solid economic footing. And that means unleashing the private sector. And doing exactly what the president has done from the beginning, which is pro-growth, economic policies, economic freedom. That's what he's all about. That's what delivered the first boom under President Trump. And if anybody can deliver a second boom in record time, it's Donald Trump. All right. Uh, Monica Crowley, always great to talk to you. Always great catching up with you. Um, We appreciate it. Congratulations on your new job. Uh, Let's get America open and open safely. And and I'm going to just reiterate what I had said before. And it's real simple, and that is as it relates to the country, COVID-19 only. These states don't get to balance their corrupt deficit spending and their books using COVID-19 as an excuse. COVID-19 relief only. Workers, small businesses, et cetera. And, and by the way, I heard one guy, executive was on, and he said, well, I have a fiduciary responsibility. I don't own this, this, and this. I don't, I don't understand the ins and outs of finance, to be very blunt. It's not my wheelhouse, and I, I just want to get it right for the country. And that means those that are in need will be taken care of. Every American agrees with that. But let's get back up and running. It can't go on forever. Um, and do it safely. You look at this White House now, and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the state room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, something we I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration in the George W. Bush administration, for example, or the Obama administration. <laughs> the protocol, two men that all of us have perhaps increased appreciation for uh, over the last two years. <laughs> And in both of those administrations, there was process. And so if the FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official, you would work through the White House counsel, and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. More despicable, unbelievable. Uh, you know, it's like Joe. Quid broke up bragging. And I'll get into a billion Tell you, fire the prosecutor, investigating my zero experience son, Hunter. Oh, I did did something nobody would ever do. What did I do? Oh, I uh, sent in agents. I took advantage of the chaos, something I'd never get away with or try to get away with. 
in the Bush or Obama administrations. There's a process for that. It's called, uh, let's see, uh, the White House Counsel and Miranda warnings. And this is after the deputy FBI director told General Flynn. Sorry, I messed it up. I was doing five things at once towards the end of the last hour. I apologize. Um at the end of and that, that all these things that they did, they set this man up. It is unconscionable. Now, I am looking at these the new releases we have here on the fly, and we've been going over in great, great detail about the corruption and about the abuse of power. We've also been right. Uh, I want to bring in for the full hour Sidney Powell, former federal prosecutor, counsel for General Flynn. Uh, John Solomon, investigative reporter, um, justthenews.com is his news site, which is doing gangbusters. And uh, Sydney, everything that we have been saying for now going on three plus years is now true. There is a miscarriage of justice. They set up General Flynn. We now have handwritten notes to prove it. Where do we stand? And your thoughts. Well, we have even more evidence now, Sean, than we had yesterday. We did a new filing at about 1 o'clock this afternoon with a report from the FBI that completely exonerated Flynn as of January 4th of any sort of Russia problem and repeats in multiple ways that they had checked all the government files on him, the FBI files, the DIA files, probably the CIA files, although those two were redacted, and found no derogatory information on him whatsoever. So then we learned they task a confidential informant against him. From the other information I have, I know that's Stephen Halper, and he's a total slime ball that was running uh, an operation against Flynn probably uh, through the Office of Net Assessment, James Baker, Colonel James Baker in the Department of Defense was his handler. And we think Baker, that Baker, not the FBI Baker, but the Defense Department Baker is the one who had the connection that allowed him to get the transcript of the Kislyak calls that he then probably leaked to his friend David Ignatius. There's been recent disclosures of how cozy their relationship was, which was inappropriate for more reasons than one. And we've just got, you know, more and more evidence of the Strzok page text messages, how Strzok at the instruction of the seventh floor went back in, which means the upper echelon of the FBI, Comey and McCabe, went back in and kept the file on General Flynn from being closed. He references their own incompetence and in realizing that the file hadn't been closed, even though it was supposed to have been. So they started all over again and start making up the attempt for the Logan Act allegations and set up the interview now as i read these handwritten notes and and new information that has come out potential questions for dd's call explain what that is this is from struck that's an, um, an email from Strzok before McCabe is going to place the call to Flynn the day of the interview that comey was talking and bragging about in his little um, speech on national January twenty fourth, four days into the Trump administration, and McCabe, now General Flynn, it's been widely reported, uh, asked, "Well, do I need a lawyer or anything?" And Andrew McCabe lied to him, did he not, and deny him his Miranda rights? 
Well, actually, uh, technically, Miranda doesn't apply in the non-custodial setting, but what they always do is at least mention the 1001 possibility, the false statement possibility, and what that means. But they had planned and schemed by other information we have not to even do that with General Flynn. There are emails yesterday produced that recommend that they do that and note that they always do that, at least mention it in an interview, and they decided here, because it was Flynn, not to mention it at all. They schemed and planned and met at length about it to decide to keep him relaxed and unguarded. And to well, not I would, but if there, a, wouldn't a White House counsel have asked, well, what is the nature of this, again, if proper process was and protocol, what is the nature of the discussion with General Flynn? And if they had to tell him it's about an investigation into Flynn and Russia, well, at that point, the White House counsel would say, whoa, uh, red flags. General Flynn, they probably would have told him you probably need a lawyer. That would have happened. Now, and, th- and then these other, you know, handwritten notes. What is our goal? Now, why would any FBI agent ever have to ask that question? Because the goal should be <laughs> truth. The goal should be right. justice. They say then it goes on truth, uh, admission, uh, or to get him to lie get him we're trying to get him to do something or and then it's so so we can then prosecute him or get him fired well that sounds to me like a perjury trap but i'm not the smart lawyer that you are sydney well that was that was obviously obviously their goal and that's even more apparent in the text messages of strock and page and others that came out in the production today where they also talk about using a defensive briefing as a pretext to talk to him. They're trying to figure out a way to talk to him in such a way that he doesn't know he's being interviewed so they could try to trap him or make something up against him. And they wound up having to just make it up. And we learn more in today's production also about how Mr. Strzok did massive edits to the original agents 302 and was trying very hard to keep that other agent's voice in the report despite his significant changes to it and was talking to Lisa Page about that and she was fussing with him at how sloppy his work was on it. All right, I'm, I want to get John Solomon here in here in a second, but Sydney, what we now know is that this was a setup that they knew ahead of time that they had put this case to rest. They resurrected it for political purposes. We know even earlier, and and the attorney general has confirmed this, that in fact, uh, and we've confirmed it, that it was premeditated fraud on a FISA court because they were warned, John Solomon will address this in a minute, and that is they were warned that the dirty dossier that Hillary paid for uh, should not be trusted. It was political in nature. Uh, It's unverified, and, and, and Christopher Steele has an agenda numerous times but they took the unverified, later we find out, unverifiable, uh, dirty Russian dossier that even apparently the Russians knew was going to Hillary Clinton, which brings up a whole new story, likely Russian disinformation, and even the New York Toilet Paper Times got that, was used as the foundation for all four FISA warrants, totally debunked at this point. They never even tried to verify it. And then they took away Carter Page's civil liberties and constitutional rights. They spied on a candidate, a transition team, and deep into the presidency of Donald Trump. Those last words are Attorney General Barr's. Uh, And then we have other issues involving Halper and Joseph Misfoot and Brennan and and Clapper, which I assume at some point will be addressed too here, Sydney. But here's what happened. They did not. We now know that General Flynn is even a bigger hero, don't we? 
that what we had been saying on this program, and thank God for you, because you got the crap beat out of you a lot, and you worked your your you-know-what off uh, for no money for the most part, pro bono, and donations from generous people, thank God, because this guy went bankrupt, and he fell on the sword to save his son. Isn't that true, Sidney Powell? Uh, yes, yes. The generosity of the American people has kept our litigation going in his defense, and we learned that... There was a secret side deal. Of course, the general knew they had promised not to indict his son, but the judge didn't know it. And we found documentary evidence only recently that Covington and Burling, his prior lawyers, and the prosecutor, Mr. Van Grack, had made this a secret side deal deliberately to avoid Mr. Van Grack's obligation to produce that exculpatory or impeachment information to any future defendant that they wanted General Flynn to testify against. So it was another example of Van Grack deliberately trying to hide the ball of exculpatory evidence. Unbelievable. And at the same time, yeah, and at the same time, the judge did not know that the plea was coerced. And the plea was coerced because they said, well, we didn't think you lied, but you're going to admit to lying or else we're going after your son which that is prosecutorial abuse, too. I don't want to keep John Solomon out of this discussion. John, you've done amazing work here, and you have a lot of updates. Oh, yeah. Listen, today's documents that Sidney forced into the public, I think, really bring to light the deliberate nature of what was going on here. The normal process for the FBI was taking its course. They looked at General Flynn. They decided he wasn't a Russian asset. He posed no threat. He should be okay to be the national security advisor. And then, this is the word right from the notes, the seventh floor of the FBI got involved. The seventh floor is James Comey and Andrew McCabe. And they stopped the closure of the file. Uh, they were going to treat Flynn the right way and just give him a defensive briefing, have him move on. And they put a stop to it. And then they concoct this interview. And you can see one senior FBI official. I have come now confirmed with multiple uh, government officials that the person who wrote those notes is Bill Priestap, the former assistant uh, FBI director for counterintelligence. That's Pete Strzok's boss. Pete Strzok's boss is worried about what's going on here. He sees that the way they're treating Flynn isn't the way the FBI normally treats people. And he writes to himself, we're playing games. I'm worried we're playing games here. And yeah, he I'll read it to you. If, if we're seen as playing games, White House will yeah. be furious. Protect our institution by not playing games. Maybe Bill yep. Priestep was a real good guy. Is, is that your take? Well, certainly he had a conscience here. Something about what was going on between Strzok and McCabe and Comey bothered him. And, and you can see in the notes, isn't the normal way he writes it. It's not the normal way we do this. And so what's really important now, the text messages really kind of show us what went on. It appears from the text messages that after they put a stop to closing out the Flynn case, that Strzok uh, and McCabe began to work on an interview to, to zero in on Flynn and put him into jeopardy. And then Priestap became concerned. He had a concern. He went to McCabe. There was some dispute between him and McCabe. He goes to Comey to try to get Comey to come over to his side. And then, uh, obviously, that must not have happened from the way we heard James Comey brag at the start of the radio show or the radio this hour. Comey was in on it. But uh, Priestap was so concerned he was bouncing between the top two guys trying to figure out if, he, if we should do this another way. And, um, and I think it's just extraordinary to think that this was what was going on at the top of the premier law enforcement agency in America, a deliberate attempt. Let me read it again, because what Priestep is saying, we regularly show subjects evidence with yeah. the goal of getting them to admit their wrongdoing. I don't see how getting someone to admit their wrongdoing is going easy on him if we get him to admit to breaking the Logan Act. Freeze frame. 1799 law. No American's ever been convicted of the Logan Act. It's a use. It's a ridiculous 
uh, trap for him. Uh, yeah, and they but, knew there was no Logan Act violation. Other correct. Brady evidence we were given shows that they all knew there was no freaking Logan Act violation because he was on the presidential transition team and he was doing his job. Stay right, right there, Sidney Powell, John Solomon. We got you for the full hour. I'm going to let you tell the whole story and the 302s that did exist in the beginning that, oh, they just magically disappeared. Sick. All right, as we roll along, uh, Sidney Powell is with us, attorney. Um, done an amazing job. Um, I'm so proud of you, Sidney, to be honest. And I, we've known you now a while, and I know the work you put in behind the scenes here. Um, and uh, John Solomon has done incredible work and in doing it today at justthenews.com. Um, let's go to the 302 issue. You mentioned this in your four-page letter today. There were original 302s. Where'd they go, Sydney? Oh, yes. Where'd they go? (laughs) Well, we still don't have them, so I would imagine that's one of the documents we're going to get at some point. But we know now that Mr. Strzok did a significant revision to the other agent's original 302, and there were at least two drafts that we haven't gotten because Lisa Page did revisions to one also. And he revised it so much, he was trying hard not to completely rewrite it, he said. Uh, You know, everything, John Solomon, go back to early 2017 that you reported and our ensemble cast reported has been dead on accurate. Yeah, listen, I remember when Sarah and I were approached and we got an overture from a senior FBI official saying what's going on with General Flynn is just not right. And from the top of the bureau down to the line agents, we're not acting the way the FBI normally does. And that was a big tip for us that got us going. We now see why, because of Sidney Powell's great work and persisting, we now know that everything and, that the and FBI yours did too. was wrong. We know it was wrong. Uh, you know, I'm glad you're both staying for the hour because I really want to unpeel the layers of the onion here. There's, I don't want to rush through any of this for the sake of our audience. Um, and Sidney Powell, attorney for General Flynn, uh, is staying with us, as is John Solomon. We'll have more tonight on Hannity. Uh, we also have, oh, yeah, more defense of uh, Tara Reid by all of the I believers. Uh, Joe Biden is going to speak on liberal Joe, apparently, about it. That's all coming up. We'll give you a preview on Hannity tonight. We'll continue on the other side. All right. Glad you're with us. 25 till the top of the hour. We have an amazing Hannity uh, tonight at nine. A lot going on today that we'll get to, including coronavirus updates, the blame game. Uh, we have Nancy Pelosi on the record on Tara Reid again. No I believers in that. Joe Biden finally is being forced to speak out. Apparently we'll do it on liberal Joe. Of course, I go to a safe haven like uh, the Hannity show. Um, we'll get to all of that tonight. And also this issue. And that is the biggest abuse of power corruption scandal in modern history. Maybe history of all time. I don't know. I never thought that this type of thing could happen in this country. I never thought that the powerful tools of intelligence could be turned uh, on a presidential candidate or that there would be spying on a presidential candidate and that there'd be premeditated fraud on a FISA court or that you want to talk about obstruction. I never thought that subpoenaed emails would be destroyed, deleted, bleach bit and hammers used to destroy devices. I never thought that a candidate would pay for a dirty Russian dossier that then would become the basis for a FISA warrant, not once, but four times when they knew all along it was unverifiable. Uh, But it all happened. I never thought a 33-year veteran war hero could be set up as we have now, we now have all the corroborating evidence that we know that General Michael Flynn was set up 
and set up by people that abused their power. And it is breathtaking. You know, what's our goal? Truth, admission, or to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired. Hello? What? Um, and is there going to be a price to pay? Uh, the lawyer who's worked endlessly on this and frankly taken a lot of heat in and out of the courtroom. Sydney Powell is uh, with us and her and her team have been phenomenal. John Solomon has been on this since early 2017, along with our team of, you know, it wasn't a big team, but there were maybe 25 of us between those in government and out of government and John Solomon leading the way in our coverage. And we never stopped seeking the truth and I'm peeling the layers of the onion. I remember using those words on day one to you, John Solomon, don't stop and you haven't. Um, Sydney, I want to go to the issue of the judge in this case. It's fascinating because you praised him in your book talking about prosecutorial abuse, and that would be Emmett Sullivan. And yet in this case, in my humble opinion, my words, not yours, I think he has been particularly harsh towards you and towards General Flynn. And I never quite understood it. Now, we've watched what happened with Roger Stone, a jury four person speaking out against Roger Stone before the trial that he didn't get a new case. That is abhorrent to me. Uh, we saw with Papadopoulos, exculpatory information withheld there. You know, now we see with General Flynn, they set him up. Um, and in this case, I am surprised about the judge, but you put forward four pages today. I want you to explain what your process will be moving forward with the judge who I think should vacate this. I hope he does. I think it should be vacated immediately, if not sooner. Uh, tomorrow would be a great day to do it because tomorrow is law day, but it will take the motion of the government, I'm sure, to do it at this point. Uh, as much evidence as they've produced, I would think they would be leaning in that direction because it's the primary, if not only, way to salvage the reputation and restore some integrity to the Department of Justice and the FBI would be to dismiss it. So I'm hopeful and optimistic that that's what's going to happen sometime very, very soon. You know, that would be a good day. I think by the government response, I, I do believe in my heart that this is all the evidence. And I there are little crumbs I've been seeing, John Solomon, that well, Bill there's Barr. There's more to come, Sean. They've still told us there are more documents to provide to us. I hear you, we might have some as early as tonight and as maybe as early as tomorrow. Uh, am I wrong? In well, one... No, but you may be right, but in a bizarre turn, completely unexpected, because the government has agreed to both our past two filings. Judge Sullivan has just entered a minute order within the last hour saying that we are not to file anything else in this case until Mr. Jensen has completed his review and advised the court that his production to us is complete. And that would be the prior law firm? Or the government. No, that would be the that would be the U.S. attorney who's been reviewing the case and producing oh, okay. all the Brady to us. Well, and then you got beat up on the Brady issue and lost it. And I was shocked because we knew there was Brady material out there that wasn't handed over to the defense, which is required by law. Correct. Yes. Uh, the reasoning was that he had entered a guilty plea and the government was arguing that because he had entered a guilty plea, he wasn't entitled any Brady, but that's not what Judge Sullivan's own order said. And it's certainly not what the law ought to be, particularly when the guilty plea is rushed and coerced as part of that very process. So there is just, there was nothing done right in this case, not a single thing by any party previously. 
All right, John Solomon, let's get your take on this. As bad as we thought it was, it's worse, in my opinion. And yeah. oh, I, I, I couldn't imagine on my worst day early in 2017 thinking it would turn out to be this bad. But let's talk about two people that we haven't talked about yet. It just isn't the Comey-McCabe uh, stroke team that starts this. It eventually gets to Bob Mueller's team. And Bob Mueller's team should have had access to all this evidence and should have been able to see this isn't a case. This is chicken little stuff. Why did we? Why are we doing this? And instead, they go in and, and pursue this prosecution, force uh, General Flynn into a plea deal, and then on the sidelines try to, if, if you believe the lawyers' uh, documents that came out last week, let's keep it hush hush that we 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 kind of uh, pressured you over your son. We don't want to have to make that out in court and let people know that that was the real pressure point on you. So the Mueller team deserves a lot of scrutiny, and I wonder if the justice. Department will look at that. And then one other person, Chris Ray, the current FBI director. These records were on his watch. There were two and a half years while he's been in charge of the FBI that these records could have been produced to Congress, to the American public, and certainly to uh, General Flynn's defense team. I think both of their conduct, uh, Special Counsel Mueller, former Director Mueller, and current FBI Director Chris Ray, have to be held to account for what occurred here over the last three years. Um, I am a little shocked at at the judge in this case, uh, Sidney Powell, and I want to go back to that for a second. I, I think that, you know, but I will say this. I do believe that the attorney general has done this. I do believe that the attorney general is on this. I do believe that the attorney general is committed to the truth. And I do, if I'm, I'm reading tea leaves here, and, and I told the story earlier, Sidney, when Joe DeGeneva first said dirty cops, it like took me back. It shocked me. Because I, I grew up in a family of law enforcement. It just, I don't want to be able to think that about law enforcement. But he was right. He was right. And he says that there's a mole likely in the FBI that is leaking all of this. And I bet he's probably right on that because he hasn't been wrong yet. Well, I would hope that I'm there are the a way, lot in the of FBI, people in the FBI, FBI that would want to get this out. But, you know, I, we the problem is cultural. And it's going to need a top-to-bottom overhaul to fix it. I have an idea. How about General Flynn to be the next FBI director? Just a thought. I don't I'd, know. I'd, I'd vote for that if he'd ever be willing to do it. <laughs> you know why he might be willing to do it? Because he knows what abuse of power can do to somebody, doesn't he, Sidney? Y- yes, he does. I can't think of a more honorable person to take over that position and clean it up. Well, I have not seen an urgency in Director Ray, and it bothers me. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to express? To- um, yes, he was Andrew Weissman's supervisor when he was at DOJ, running roughshod over all the people I talk about in License to Lie, and Ray praised him and got him promoted and got him the Attorney General's Award of Excellence. So, yes, I would never have chosen Director Ray, but I'm sure President Trump didn't know all that when whoever recommended him recommended him. Let me ask you about the law, then I want to follow up with John on the issue, because he's been skeptical where the where this is ending. On the law, based on what we know now, and you're a great attorney, what law-breaking do you see, and by who, Sidney Powell, in your expert opinion? I would venture to say that every FBI agent who has testified on this before Congress, certainly Comey, um, McCabe, Strzok, Page, have probably uh, committed provable lies from the documents I'm seeing. I have not studied their testimony or done a recent comparison, but that would certainly be something to look at. So those are, uh, you know, false statements to Congress counts worth five years apiece and perjury. So that could be significant. And then there's also 
obstruction of justice because making up a crime against someone is obstruction of justice in the worst possible sense. You know, we talked a lot about the inspector uh, general report, and that was confirmation, John, that your reporting was dead on accurate. Our ensemble cast was accurate. Those few members that were strong in Congress, that they were telling the truth, that the likes of Adam Schiff and others were lying through their teeth. Uh, Now the question is, what will be the result of this? Now, I see that John Durham, while nobody's been paying attention, is apparently adding personnel to his investigation. The attorney general confirmed to Laura Ingram that, in fact, this isn't about a report. This is about justice. That, to me, was a crumb. Uh, He used the word spying to describe what they have done to President Trump. And he said deep into his presidency, uh, we know what premeditated fraud on a FISA court is. Uh, if, if I lied to any court, I don't think Sidney Powell, Mark Levin, and, and a team of the best attorneys in America would ever get me out of it. Nor if I had subpoenaed emails and I destroyed them and cleaned the hard drive and broke up devices, do I think they could get me out of that either? So I think if the quest is equal justice and equal application of our laws, John Solomon, well, then where does this end? Well, as I said a couple weeks ago on the show, there is real signs now of of criminal investigative activity uh, that suggests that they're zeroing in on a small number of people at the center of this. And I think uh, Sidney Powell identified two of the crimes that I've been hearing about, which is possible false testimony, possible obstruction of justice. Another one to consider, because some of these documents that we now got today appear to have been responsive to congressional subpoenas and congressional um, request prior is, was there an effort to obstruct Congress on this, to hide the truth from Congress during Devin Nunez's and other lawmakers' important investigations, Senator Grassley, Senator Graham? So uh, I think those are the three areas where people are zeroing in, and you have two special prosecutors. You have the one working the Flynn case and Durham doing all the rest, and the activity is ramping up. I still think if we get to indictments, it's going to be a small number. But the indictments themselves may tell a much bigger story of many, many people involved in this really horrific episode in law enforcement history. Um, name names, John Solomon, if I can dare you? Not yet. I, I, I want to watch and see. I think one of the things that's clear with the discovery of these new notes is that there are cooperating witnesses now. That's a real clue, right? Somebody brought to the attention of the prosecutors these Bill Priestap notes. And I think the fact that there's cooperation going on could change the paradigm. If you get someone senior to start talking, maybe the picture fills in a little bit more differently. And so I think it's too early to say that. Uh, I do think the lawyer who falsified the Carter Page um, document is clearly in jeopardy. We'll have to see who else in the next few weeks. But I, I, we're starting to get to well, see a bigger picture. You, We had talked about whether a grand jury had been convened. Um, and then the issue, a lot of time was spent with allies in Italy, Great Britain, and I understand Australia. A lot of time spent over in the pond early on. Uh, what about a grand jury? Where are Brennan and Clapper in all of this, in your view? Well, I definitely think the period of December 2015 to July 2016 is going to become more important than it was early on in our investigation and all this review work. There were earlier activities that predate the FBI's official uh, crossfire hurricane investigation. I think there, there could be very serious charges if it's proven that they were targeting Americans without legal authority or if they lied about what they were doing during that time frame. And I think that's some of the activity that's going on now. They're trying to zero in on that and find out what did the FBI know what did the CIA know? And I think the CIA is a name we're going to hear, uh, or an agency we're going to hear a little bit more about in the next few weeks. 
Sydney, you've been watching all of this, not just the part about General Flynn. Uh, you've been defending General Flynn, and that's that's a full-time job enough. Um, and I, I would like to think that if it, this is vacated, that there will be lawsuits. Um, number one, do you hear anything about a grand jury? Number two, do you believe there would be likely lawsuits if this is vacated? And number three, what about that other agency or agencies that we're hearing about, like the CIA and Brennan? And Clapper. Uh, I have not heard anything myself about a grand jury, but I have heard that Mr. Durham uh, is definitely looking seriously at Mr. Brennan's activities. I mean, as soon as I saw all this unfolding as a relatively knowledgeable member of the public, even, I realized it was run like a counterintelligence operation to unseat a foreign government, essentially. And they went and seated information that they wanted to come back through the system as if it were legitimate information, whether it's Russian disinformation or whether it was created by Nellie Orr and Glenn Simpson at Fusion GPS, the FBI and the State Department and the CIA all knew it was false. Uh, So it really doesn't even matter at that point. uh, You know, they should not have gone forward with any of it because they made it up and they knew it was false. What about lawsuits? If I can even maybe you're just not there yet at all. Well, we haven't even discussed that yet. We've got to, um, you, you know, gotta get, you got to get a vacate, vac- get this vacated. Um, uh, Sydney will join us on Hannity tonight. I think John's on with us. Also, amazing work, both of you, dead on accurate. You were right. We were all right. They were wrong. And now justice will be served. And it is sad that this could happen uh, to any American. Never mind a 33-year veteran. It's it's, it's sad and breaking and it's sickening and it it concerns every American, because if we can't trust our premier law enforcement agencies in the Department of Justice, we don't have a constitutional republic. That's how I started the program today, Sydney. Great way to uh, end this hour. Thank you. We'll see you tonight.